Hey folks, and welcome to a Daily Ratings Podcast. It's a show where each week we'll sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The Daily Ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing... The Frighteners, directed by Peter Jackson, 1408 by Mikael Hofstrom, It Follows by David Robert Mitchell, we have newly released Smile by Parker Finn, and finally, Amsterdam, directed by David O. Russell. So stay tuned and enjoy the show. Vincent Daly, how's it going, buddy? Tommy boy, how's it going? Uh, it's going okay for me. And how was your week of movies, man? A week was good. We are st- uh, finally into the week of horror for October. Yeah, we had so. some sk- spooky stuff. Yeah, here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, obviously, Smile is a real big release. Uh, Amsterdam thought was going to be a big release, looking like to be a flop. So <laughs> kind of a shame. We'll see if it deserves it, though. Yeah, yeah. We'll see if it deserves it. Uh, and uh, I'm I'm really excited because I have some some deep cut horror films that I'm going to be tackling this month and uh, just excited to give them a shot. I really don't know heads or tails if they're going to be good, so uh, I'm, I'm excited to cover them. Yeah, and of course I'm excited for this one because this is Peter Jackson. <laughs> We're back in 1996. What is The Frighteners? Where are we in Jackson's kind of career and what kind of films has he been making? Uh, yeah. And what is The Frighteners? Uh, so far, 96... Jackson has been directing, I think, one or two dramas, mostly horror, though. Uh, and like I noted in our uh, our Fellowship of the, uh, of the Ring review, I found it impressive how many little genres the film drug- juggles, uh, primarily suspense. So going back and looking at Peter Jackson's film career, uh, a, a lot of his work being horror, I was very curious to give it a shot because I don't think a lot of people have seen this. Uh, I don't think a lot of people have seen any of his early works. No, honestly. anything pre Lord of the Rings, not a whole lot yeah, at all. Yeah. Uh, Some would say post Lord of the Rings. Too. Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, but this is his era of horror and spooky or weird kind mm-hmm. of. Some of them had a cult following around in the late 90s, yeah. but so much caught on, of course, after Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah. And then you all had, you know, the people who love culty horror stuff right naturally latched on latched on pretty good but what is this is this like one of his goofy ones or what do we like kind of what's the premise of this one so my my research with all of these is that they're all kind of horror comedy Frighteners is a story that follows Michael J. Fox, uh, a kind of spiritual medium con man that uses a ghost, uh, kind of a crew of ghosts, to frighten people into needing his services. The ghosts 
of a mass murderer kind of uh, gets in his way of this of this conning and uh, slowly starts to con- continue its killing spree. Uh, that's what gets Michael J. Fox involved in this, and uh, it is a very, very 90s film, I'll tell you what. Oh, does it feel very 90s? You look at this poster of Frighteners, and it looks scary. Like, uh, it's it's got the main mass murderer ghost. It's kind of this wall monster thing, and it looks like a scary movie, uh, but this comedy turn, uh, it, it's it wasn't that good, folks. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to keep the, the charade going too long. Um uh, you know, normally with a director's study, I would start at the, you know, much more in the, in the beginning of their career or where there is a lineup of iconic films in some way. Right, yeah. I chose Frightener is in part to tackle one as blind as possible because I really didn't want to go in and say, oh, I really enjoy Jackson's next films, his trilogy. I'm going to enjoy this. I did not want that. And part, I, you know, I didn't know how much I actually wanted to cover from him because <laughs> these these films, these horror comedies, I, you know, I mean, the, they're a little odd. <laughs> they're odd, and I would say, I think, I don't even know the names of them, but I know there's two that still remain have a big cult following. Not yes. they were not big or successful when they came out yeah. by any stretch of imagination, but since have garnered a pretty big cult following. Yeah, Dead Alive. This, okay, I yeah, think is no. the other one that is uh, is pretty big, and I think that's we're definitely going to be covering that with. Is him that this the month. puppet one? Kind I of think a lot of puppets used. Uh, I'm not too sure actually. I actually don't know too much uh, well, about the film. Yeah, so. we'll, we'll have to go through. Yeah, yeah. But as far um, as Frighteners goes, it's an hour and 50, mm-hmm. and, he, and a young kind of looking Michael J. Fox here. <laughs> he's, he's terrible in this. Oh, is he? <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I don't know. I, I really, been, <laughs> <laughs> this week I was looking at actors, I'm like, I don't know if I'm even a fan of, of these actors anymore. <laughs> Cusack was another one. Uh, I was just like, oh, oh, I've never know. liked Cusack. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. we can get into that. Though. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, specifically for Frighteners is, this is the film before he starts his trilogy. Now, granted, there's a good four-year gap in that well that's it's because i believe in 96 is when he starts well him and his partner fran welsh Mm -hmm. walsh start writing oh really okay four and then they go pitching it in 98 Mm. i believe but the earliest or maybe even pitching it earlier Mm -hmm. but the earliest started actually in 96 sure yeah uh and yeah i i was i was kind of scratching my head over this film because i i would have loved to come to you, Tom, and folks at home <laughs> to say, oh, yeah, man, you can see how where he got <laughs> right. his chops for suspense, you know, going into fellowship. But no, it's it's not. This this film is is really not good. It's very 90s in its approach to creepy comedy. I think this is especially driven home by the Danny Elfman score. Um, mm. This is also rated R, which makes the horror itself a bit intense, but... I really would place this more to tame films like Beetlejuice... Adam's family and even Casper, and I'll mention Casper again later really? on. Oh yeah, I swear to God. But it's um, just like when it's gory, it's extra gory. Then it's uh, like rated R gory. Yeah, it, 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 there's there's like some body mutilation with with ghosts, uh, okay. and that's really pretty much where the rated R comes from. Interesting. Um, totally unworth it though. I mean, uh, uh, worth a watch in the sense that this challenged my 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 latest <laughs> yeah, type of yeah. everything needs to be rated First R. First time you're ever going. Why is this rated R? Yeah, it really didn't need it, and, and if anything, it kind of hurt it. But uh, uh, but yeah, the, these type of movies, again, Beetlejuice, Adam's Family, Casper, I'll call it kind of a pre-goth genre, if you will, <laughs> of the 80s and 90s. And honestly, all of these are better watches than Frighteners. Uh, the CGI is flat out not good. Uh, it, it's a shame because 
our main antagonist, this this mass murderer ghost. Uh-huh. Uh, I forget the actor's name. He's like, he played something in in Starship Troopers. Man, it uh, it just looks so bad. <laughs> um, it, it's like this wall monster effect uh, that the wall is protruding, and it just moves way too quickly. It's way too digital. Um, then there's a, even a, a poor quality that the wall monster wraps around real characters, and that even looks even more dated because it's <laughs> clearly they're not being grabbed by this thing. It's oof. Was this was it Weta? Uh, no, I don't. I have no idea. I did not do research into that. But, okay, okay. Uh, it might have been. <laughs> well, honestly, as far as the CGI work, it was it was bad. Okay. It was bad. Yeah, <laughs> I, I gotta say, I mean, uh, super dated visual effects. It, it's a shame because there is a, a cool aspect to the main antagonist ghost or the, this kind of this wall monster phantom, uh, but it's it's just it's not good uh, and really took me out. It other ghosts are presented visually identical. to to the effect we see in Casper one year earlier, uh, <laughs> which is, uh, it's weird to call this film on the shoulders of Casper, but it really is. Um, uh, real actors are made slightly translucent and tinted blue. Not terrible, not great either, but but specifically, uh, my note here is that some of the CGI work and then as well, some of the just the spirit realm work it just, it, man, it just doesn't look good. And I have to say, really not to dig into Michael J. Fox, because this is clearly not like his main, you know, this is sure. not where he's cutting his teeth as an actor or anything like that. But like, he is just terrible in this. He's so <laughs> bad. He's trying to act like way too cool for his own good. And it's just, it's just not, it's not good. And when, when he interacts with the paranormal aspects of this, there's a serious disconnect as well. And I just, yeah, yeah, it, it was tough. The style that makes up the, you know, the, the Frightener crew of, of these ghosts, um, it seems to be the only reason why we have a rated R rating at all. It's like I said, it kind of makes gory jokes out of them. They will get cut up, body parts will fall off. Mm. The effects don't look terrible, and who knows, maybe that's where, you know, some some of Weta, if they were involved at all with this, because how how long how far does his roots back go with Weta? I'm not I'm honestly not too sure. With Jackson, yeah, I feel like they came. I honestly would have to go. I knew it at one point, but I almost <laughs> think Weta was born from Peter Jackson. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. so it's I like don't a... I don't know if they. Industrial light magic with Lucas or something like that. Yeah, I yes, I could be wrong at that okay. for people listening. It could be they just were both small productions started sure. up in New Zealand and then mm-hmm. joined forces. But I do think I want to say that what it was spawned sure. by Jackson. Okay, but but yeah, because I think some of the earlier stuff, like that film we were talking about with like the puppets and the puppeteering, mm. it almost. Mm-hmm. I think that was what is doing. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So I think they were constantly in business together. Okay. Well, I mean, uh, like I said, I mean, uh, my my criticism more so is pointed towards, uh, I mean, these these slight body horror jokes with yeah. the ghosts. Not worth the rated R rating. Not worth the jokes. They're not funny. <laughs> they, they look mildly okay. Were you, you know sitting I mean? there the entire time being like, how did the Lord of the Rings yes. come out of this guy <laughs> and his team? Hundred percent. Isn't it weird? I mean, because who would give him a chance on on a right. trilogy? Uh, I mean, let's well, let's the, take the IP out of the equation, you know, entirely. You right. Know, no less. Lord right. Of the Rings. Right. Right. Who at New Line was just like, "Yep, you get three movies. You want to make them all at once." Well, the funny hey, sure the, go you know go crazy. Well, the you funny know? thing was, the Lord of the Rings was supposed to be two movies. Peter Jackson pitched it to every studio as two movies. As two. Okay. 
it was, and it was New Line who said, "This isn't two movies. This oh, is three movies." I see, I see. Which is even crazier yeah, to take even more of a bet chance. and money. It's unreal. Yeah, and then we get such good like. <laughs> the Lord of the Rings is the Fellowship of the Rings, your favorite one. Like, yeah, it's, un- yeah. it's insane. I know, I know. Uh, it's, you know, uh, like even going back to our, uh, some, I believe last week's episode or the week prior um, course, uh, producers wrote in and, and we, we were talking more about, we were happy with the fact that Jackson directed this. So I'm oh, not, yeah, I'm not, yeah. Yeah, I can't stress enough. I, I like Jackson as director. I'm Just really like, happy what he did with the trilogy. Where did it come from? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's certainly not in the Frighteners. <laughs> I was also laughing the whole time because it's like, it really is just like a, a, just such an ass name for a film. <laughs> so bad but yeah um that's really the whole movie unfunny and slightly spooky michael j fox is just lacking star power and and good acting honestly uh to lead the comedy here if i'm being critical of this film it's incredibly derivative for 96 Mm. um i don't see this film getting anything more unique or novel to the comparison to its creepy comedy horror peers uh again as G-rated as Casper, or I actually don't know That's if crazy. Casper's G-rated or not, but uh, probably PG. A, a child's film. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it, it's tough. It, most disappointingly, uh, as we, as you may have picked up, folks, I have found next to nothing in Jackson's filmmaking to uh, show as a precursor to the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So I would say, you know. I'm taking my lumps with this one. This was kind of a failed exploration uh, of of a, you know style and and looking at uh, at a director here. So I'm gonna say flat out, don't bother with this one. Uh, I think any of the other films I've mentioned are much better alternatives and do so much more without that R rating. We're going to go ahead and give the Frighteners a 34. Wow, Ooh, boy, okay, <laughs> yeah. What a jump for Jackson, though, 34 uh, to an 85. Right. I know. And I guess we have to go further back in his career to yeah. some of those cult hits. And there was one drama that got that actually was uh, nominated for yeah, heavy I, awards. I, I, there's uh, there's a, like a three-movie stretch, uh, and that drama, I'm forgetting the name of but it. I think he Should gave... Be oh, go ahead. I was, maybe we was about to say the same thing. Mm-hmm. I think he gave like Kate Winslet her big break. Oh, really? And that's the drama. That oh, she was, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. To be fair, I also don't know if uh, Dead Alive is this puppet one that you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, but that's like the only other really, really notable one. He, actually, no, he does have a... Yeah, I think a, there's two. Yeah, there's there's actually his first one is kind of culty. Uh, it's, I think it's called like Bad News or something. I don't know. But yeah, either way, uh, we got to go back. We'll go back. We'll <laughs> we, go further back. <laughs> we got to dig a little deeper. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that was 1996 here. We'll jump to 2007. Uh, this movie is just called 1408. It's directed by... Mikael Hofstrom. Nice. Here we have uh, Kuzi. We have Kuzak. Kuzi. And what <laughs> is this? We cannot call him Kuzi. <laughs> uh, what's this film? Kind of set it up for us because what's their premise that we're dealing with? Sure, here? sure. So this movie is based off of a Stephen King short story um, coming out in the same year as The Mist, uh, which is uh, kind of, again, a little bit of, a, of an odd Stephen King story. Uh, one I enjoy, though. This story feels a bit meta with John Cusack being a character that is a paranormal writer. Um, He specializes in kind of a somewhat trashy paperback top 10 haunted hotels and even has his own 1 to 10 skull rating. We'll see if I give a skull okay. rating to this film <laughs> or not. When it seems like he has seen it all and 
has built up a shell of cynicism, he checks into room 1408, a particular room of a Manhattan hotel run by Sam Uel Jackson himself. Yeah. So uh, Sam Jackson has been <laughs> has been on our tongue, so I'm glad I, I could see him in, in movies. He's he's unfortunately not uh, – he's, he's only in like three scenes in this one. Because it's just the manager that pops in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, he's too busy uh, doing, I guess, press for snakes on a plane or something <laughs> like that. So, yeah, I, I think this is this is an interesting story. I really enjoyed the pure horror aspects of it. I think there there is a cool quality that uh, it's a King story that is about a writer. I, I enjoy a lot of those. Uh, uh, Misery, a perfect example. Cusack is written to be one cool dude, though. He uh, he surfs. He, he has a basketball in his office. He has got the cig in the ear. He's got a toothpick in his mouth. Um, Doing their best they can. Uh, <laughs> uh, he the, the whole film, he kind of narrates his experience through uh, a tape recorder, which kind of gets a more of a detective noir type of feel to it a little bit. I have to be honest, though, I really wasn't in love with his acting too much. Uh, uh, he's even a little Nick Cage-ish in parts. Uh, he gets some Nick Cage oh, yeah, freakouts, Yeah, I could actually. see that. I could see that. Uh, which uh, certainly is funny, but viewer beware if, if that's not something that you like. You know, maybe Cage fans, guess what? That's a, that's a good green light, but uh, not, not great here. And I don't have a lot of watch time with Cusack. I think he does a decent job here. But I was never really hit with a moment where I was invested in his performance. And it's a shame because I think this this film does have a lot to love about it, especially related to the pure distilled horror aspects of it. I don't know. Maybe if you want to shed light on, on your your history with with Cusack. I just don't. I barely know him. I don't okay. see a lot of I don't see a lot of stuff in him because I don't like him. Mm. I feel like just every movie that I've seen, I'm just unimpressed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's, again, it's not much. And we didn't grow up with him like other people did in the right, 80s. Right. Like he had one film and he's just writing on I mean he, I feel like he's just literally just writing on that. Hating on Cusack. Listen, right? I, I, mean, I, I think agree. I, ultimately I agree. Whatever his big films other than the one in the eighties. Uh, well, high fidelity is on the list at at some point that we got Yeah, As it should be. As yeah. it should be. But I uh, since then, I mean I think the biggest thing he's done since might be literally hot tub time machine. <laughs> And that's yeah, and I just don't, I don't think his acting is like I don't I was I'm never impressed with him yeah and he's yeah. always kind of a little irritating sure. nothing on the Ruffalo scale oh <laughs> Ruffalo is your white right like I actively I actively <laughs> hate Mark Ruffalo wow Kuzak I just don't think about sure sure Kuzi boy so Kuzi. Did this have good? Did this had good horror in it? Yes, uh, I, I think why this is a watch, folks, is uh, the pure horror aspects. The hotel room of fourteen oh eight is best described by Samuel Jackson himself, and he says it's not specters, spirits, or phantoms. That room is fucking evil, and that is what this is about. It is about the room itself, kind of being a subversion of. The things that Cusack's character normally goes after. He's going after the the rogue ghost story. He's mm. trying to make these schlocky, you know, paperback, you know, things to kind of spook you just by the description, but there's nothing really of substance there. And I, I think it's it's a it's a good subversion of it. Um, you know, this this paranormal paranormal writer 
The horror of it is not the imaginary ghosts he profits off of, it's the destination itself. There's also a cynical commentary on how the locations get a bump of tourism after he writes about them. So having those destinations work against him is a really nice thematic tie to it. I think most of all, what's impressive about uh, 1408 is how much they do with the set design in this one little hotel room. And mm. I can't say it's entirely in this hotel room, but there's a lot of surrealist aspects. There's a lot done with set work as far as we're talking about the practical uh, effects work uh, that is enjoyable here. Uh, definitely refreshing and definitely that distilled horror that I was looking for uh, this month. Uh, Samuel Jackson is great, like I said, uh, but it's only a sprinkling. Uh, we get three, three brief scenes mm. with him, and mm-hmm. then he's out. Uh, and in my notes, I said, you know, snakes on a plane, maybe he was doing Afro Samurai in 07, you know, I don't know. Uh, but, um, definitely missed because he was a good element and kind of what kind of breaks up. I, I think part of my problem, why I put so much emphasis on Cusack's performance is we spend so much time with him. He it's, really is the one in the film. Yeah. 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 We spent, you know, it's just him in, in a, a room, room. <laughs> uh, and the room evolves certainly, you know, and there, there's a lot to it. Right. There's not a lot to the Cusack, so. The horror itself feels very in line with Stephen King. Uh, Like I said, it's pure and distilled. um, I kind of call this blood in the sink syndrome, you know? (laughs) It's it's not like a monster. It's not anything. It's it's paranormal activity around him. Okay, Um, okay. And, and really felt very similar to things that we've even seen in, uh, let's say, the the TV It special or something like that. Ah, yeah. Um, yep. Even this being 2007, it still felt like that type of classic King horror with it, which I think that's great. You know, this is a short story. They're clearly doing work to grow it. Uh, I didn't really have a time to deep dive into this one and, and see what they're growing from the short story. Is it the story elements or is it the horror element? You know, right. what's kind of blown out for the film? Sure, sure. I, I think they did a, a great job. It's really more so that the, the, the performance was kind of tracking, you know, how positive I was to the horror elements of this. Most of the time, the effects work is spot on to uh, leaning a surprising amount on set work. Like I said, there's a lot done with the room itself. I think one effect relating to kind of some static ghosts I wasn't really a huge fan of, but not terrible. Nothing that I would say stay away from. Uh, like that's Frighteners. That's right, <laughs> you know, right, Frighteners, right. the CGI was almost like, <laughs> Uh, no, like a hard no. So, um, last thing I'll note is in this film, this film has actually three separate endings. This I didn't know. Yeah, um, I was trying to do some research into this. Real hard to tell which ending is canonical uh, and real, uh, which ending belongs to which edition of the film. I'll say this much. If, folks, you decide to give this film a watch... Seeing the three endings, I kind of felt the same way about all three. I was kind of walking away the same way. So did you have to actively go and search for different versions? Of the, is it three different versions of the film? Uh, or in the one film, it ends three times? Oh, no, no. Three different three different versions. Uh, okay. Yeah, they're, they're, so you went out and saw it, these three versions. Exactly. Watched the exactly. ending. Yeah. And, okay. Again, if if folks at home, you watch this, maybe it's worth maybe hopping over to YouTube just to see uh, what the different endings are. Right. I think that's a much way to better better way to approach it. And I think critically as well, me walking away feeling the same with regardless of the of which ending you know would yeah. have been tied into it, or or even the first one that I watched. I don't think it was really worth you know 
having a conniption over, <laughs> over where do you find the right version of 1408 you right. know and so if you were go on amazon and buy it you're getting it's pretty much one theatrical version yes, yes. right it's not going to be a hodgepodge you might get this one you might get yeah. this one right yeah. okay and technically speaking i mean this is going back to kind of this ties back to our commentary of dvd sales and and, and kind of post theatrical releases mm-hmm. Maybe some of these alternate endings were just like special features, and then they find their way. They found their way into an edit somewhere or something like that. Right. But, uh, either way, though, I mean, uh, I really was walking away the same with all three. But uh, maybe, like I said, uh, jump over to YouTube afterwards, pick your favorite ending. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, with that said, we are going to go ahead and give fourteen oh eight a sixty seven. 67 is not a bad film. Yeah, it's not bad. Cusack didn't sink it, and uh, I think, for allow me to say, I didn't really make a note of it, but if you are a fan of Cusack... Um, <laughs> Crickets. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, this this could be a watch, you know. <laughs> sure, no. I mean, was, he really, is... was he really, like, eight, eight, I guess if you grew up in the 80s, Cusack was... was be- a... Yeah, because of the one film, that was it. Yeah. Is Cusack the one when he holds up the holds up the boombox? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And he's like I said, he has been writing that. I'm <laughs> sure he had relatively big pictures, yeah. but I think it's that. And li- I'm not joking when I say hot tub time machine. Right, right. I, I love these hot takes. Now. And I'm sure that that's wrong. <laughs> but uh, you know, people want to hate on us. That's cool too. If you want to write in, we're all good with that. Uh, okay, so that's 1408 with a 67%. Which again, 67% is like a good movie. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and I think so. If you're in the mood yeah. for you know, it's an hour and 45 minute horror, and if you just like that's cool take on King's yeah. uh, Stephen King short story, give it a watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, Q-Tech aside, yeah. Okay, so we're gonna jump here to 2014. This film is called It Follows, directed by David Robert Mitchell. And what do we get here, Ben? So uh, I'll be honest, Tom. I saw Smile, and spoiler alert, I was not too big of a fan. Okay. <laughs> uh, and uh, like with all of my watching lately, it made me think of better films. Uh, and this one is going to be a short one because I love this film. Did you? Uh, and I, 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 It Follows is something that I've seen multiple times. Oh, okay. So this was not your first. Okay. Yeah. I, I can't say that I have a number. I want to say maybe ballpark five, this being the fifth time okay. uh, watching it. Uh, and honestly, it really just gets a blanket recommendation. So I'm not really going to be going into too much detail here. You know, there is a stalking quality uh, in both of these films, Smile and It Follows. Uh, but as the name suggests, It Follows is built directly around that horror premise. Um I, I don't even feel the need to summarize because it's all in the title. It follows. It's, it's right, right there. You don't, you don't need <laughs> yeah. much more. Uh, what I do want to talk about is, uh, believe it or not, one of the most prevalent aspects of this film being the soundtrack, as it is really one of my absolute favorite soundtracks. What? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I don't even remember this film ever. It, really? I, I think I, I kind of remember us talking about it a little yeah. bit. But um, I, who did the soundtrack? Uh, soundtrack is done by Disaster Piece, uh, a composer who first got uh, famous okay. in, in kind of a video game space. Uh, he did the indie game Fez, um, also Hyperlight Drifter, uh, indie game, so no problem if you if folks at home, you don't really recognize that even as a gamer. Uh, and it, he specializes in this retro chiptune kind of feel to his soundtracks. Okay, right up our alley. Absolutely. This is taken to such a wonderful quality, though, and, and folks, I'm not just saying this because I'm a fan of video games or a fan of retro-sounding type of soundtracks. This 
video game aesthetic plays directly into the theme of innocence and the loss of that innocence in this film. Characters speak of nostalgia, yet are still children themselves. Um, the setting is a cool fictional mashup of equally 60s, 70s, 80s suburbia, and this is, you know, way before we we get the, the nostalgia-obsessed stranger things, you know, yeah, no, a few definitely. years later. You see, this choice of style is not just window dressing, uh, or like I said, kind of a nostalgia bait like we would see in Stranger Things. The horror is tied directly into this theming when early on it's revealed that it follows you after having sex. Um, the feeling of coming of age is then twisted into horror, and this soundtrack has a a really haunting quality to it because on the surface it sounds innocent. It sounds like a Game Boy. You started up a Game hmm. Boy almost. Okay. And how that is twisted into this, you know, terrifying horror. It is so good. Expertly yeah, that's matched cool. that's together. Cool. It's so it it is it oozing atmosphere. It is oozing style. And I think the difference between what we've talked about a lot you know, film can have style. Is it tying into the substance? And this, you know, yeah, this, this like absolutely it plays into that innocence, that loss of innocence. It's how, so brilliant. How important is that? Is the music to the film then? Like, it's does it make it? I think it makes it. Okay, I think it makes it, but in 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 a way that it elevates it. It's I wouldn't necessarily call it a crutch. Okay. Uh, again, maybe you walk into this film blind. You say, "Oh, that was, that was a very interesting score that that was that was composed for this film." That's where I know the uh, name. What? Hey, did bodies, bodies, bodies. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, he's, he's he's sneaking on the Google Notes, folks. He's stealing my. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Yeah, the uh, uh, I would say. Uh, to my colossal disappointment, I did not look at <laughs> the composers for Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. And act actually, after the fact, I found this out. And I was like, I have to cover It Follows because I have to give a spotlight to Disaster Piece. You know? sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. He is such a awesome composer. And uh, I mean, it clearly, you know, it was not known to me in Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Clearly, it was a secret element behind my enjoyment right. of the film. Yeah, so. no, definitely. And I think very realistically, that could be the case here. It follows having this straightforward, almost even, you know, one note horror premise of it following. You could walk into this and say, oh, that was good. Uh, I actually don't know maybe why I enjoyed it so much. And, mm -hmm. and again, the soundtrack being a secret ingredient to that success. And uh, and I think it's a, a perfect example, honestly, of where style is substance. It's not just style. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There is a difference there. Absolutely. So with this film, it's an hour and 40. Mm -hmm. So are we following a main cast member mm. or multiple? You said that once when you have sex... Mm -hmm. It starts to follow, or right. whatever this is. Mm -hmm. Large cast, or are we dealing with a basically one person? Or? Our, our main, our main star, Mika Moreau, I believe uh, her name is. Uh, she, we actually covered her in Watcher earlier. In oh, the okay, year. sure, yeah, um, all right. And obviously, that being her uh, new release for her, she in a very kind of eighties nostalgia style. It has a friend, a group of friends, okay, a group gotcha. of yeah. not misfits exactly, but you know the local kids of the neighborhood yeah. that are there for her. Another great s small factor that you can pick up is that we never really see too many adults, specifically parents, specifically anything like that. And and again, it kind of relates into their, they have this innocence. They're almost talking like the innocence is already lost. You know, they're talking about the good old days. And they're, they're children. You know right. what I mean? They're, they're, not, they're not even like seniors in high school or anything like that. <laughs> 
this whole theme of lost uh the innocence lost uh, is it come, kind of comes home and and it's it's again it's in sprinklings of the theme not seeing yeah. parents a video gamey soundtrack you know all of it is just honed into a feel and a, an atmosphere to this horror and how is the i mean i guess the acting is actually pretty good for these young actors i think actors, so actresses. yeah I, I, especially mika specifically I mean, uh, she, she would have to make it yeah yeah you know? and i think i i even mentioned it follows um in our review of watcher because uh, again i i I think she's great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there, there's there's a lot to love uh, as far as even the other uh, performances of the young actors. It's certainly not annoying, and and I think that's that's something I bring up just because it's something that I criticize so often as right, well. Sure, but yeah, uh, driving it all is uh, is this this atmosphere, uh, cinematography, the feel, the visual design, the mood, the tone. All of it is so dialed in, and I may not have enjoyed this director's other works specifically. I was his... just about to ask, what else mm. do we get him in? Uh, so we uh, he primarily does a film called Under the Silver Lake, which oh uh, yes, that's right. Yeah, you know, reception of it is is all over the map. People call that film a masterpiece. People hate it. Uh, I was not a fan of it, but this one is truly dynamite, and uh, <laughs> for that reason, I definitely will keep always an eye on. Uh, Mika as a, as an actress, and then also um, also also him as a director yeah, as well. Cinematographer also did Under the Silver Lake, and also did Us. I guess that kind of makes sense. Us, I think, needs a rewatch. Honestly, I'm I'm, I'm curious most of all of, of Jordan Peele's, you know, of, of his movies. Yeah, going absolutely. Because it's you know. It's, it's kind of one of those that that definitely needs to bake in the oven. So, uh, but yeah, uh, put put aside uh, some time to watch this. As far as a film uh, that is for the spooky season you know i really was reflecting this week on the mood that horror puts you in Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. and we'll touch on in just a moment for spot for smile how much something can just be devoid of atmosphere and just about scares Uh, and i think like i've said probably going back even a year in episodes when it comes to horror it is about atmosphere it's about immersion and it follows absolutely yeah it it follows is is truly one of the best so put aside some time to watch it we're gonna go ahead and give it follows an 81 Ooh, very good one of my favorites for sure that's awesome and that's funny because you were just craving it coming off a smile. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, mainly because uh, almost identical and very simple premise. You know what I right. mean? Simple elevator pitch. And uh, boy, was was well, <laughs> was yeah. there better comparisons to make, better time. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right, Vince. Wow, that's okay. So that's It Follows with a big 81%. We want to remind people here, completely producer-supported, we're going off the value for value model. So are you getting value from the podcast? Are you going on the site and getting value from that? Are you finding that you're into movies more now than what you were a year ago. Uh, if you could, you go to dailyratings.com and you throw us back some value through monetary support. You go to the donations tab and uh, write a note along with it, which we're going to read. And uh, that's just kind of how we're going to keep this thing going. So uh, nothing this week, but you know, another huge way to produce is tell a friend, a family Absolutely. member, mm-hmm. your brother, your sister, your cousin, whatever. Uh, if you could just kind of pass along the message a little bit as we're finally starting to fill out the site and that gets starts to kind of get wrapped up a little bit in the next few months, uh, we're really going to you know, want to kind of come out with a splash and everything like that. And all those who have been enjoying the show since, it's just a, a huge help for us. It's been nice to hear the varieties of ways people enjoy it. You know, some have written in and say they like our banter. Some like the commentary on, on the movies, you know, the watch guide 
right element of it. Right, um, definitely. Some have just, you know, uh, we, we had questions for us of, of what we thought, so kind of more of an opinion way of it. So, And you can write whatever. And, yeah, like whether it's questions, critiques, comments, whatever, and we're going to read it. Tear me apart on who you read <laughs> The Cusack stands. The Cusack yes. fanboys are, are going to be marching on us. That would be great. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but, again, it's dailyratings.com, and you can donate whatever amount of value you fill your receipt from us. All right, Vin. So with that, we're going to go ahead to our two films in theaters here, and we're going to start with that film. Mm. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Let's go directly to Smile, directed by Parker Finn. Uh, You kind of gave us a little bit about it. It's a smaller (laughs) film, easy premise. Yeah. But as far as it delivering... Uh, that's a big no is what it sounds like but uh, yeah what do we get with this film overall yeah so it's, it's first time director and writer Parker Finn bringing this film to us and I originally thought that might be the best indicator for this film being a fresh take uh, unfortunately I was wrong <laughs> <laughs> um, Smile is a dead simple premise and feels like something green lit by Blumhouse or something like that upon seeing the death of a smile <laughs> what no it's just every subpar Poor, poorly executed film has to do with Blumhouse with you because yeah, yeah. they're so you're so lukewarm on them yeah. and they barely make anything that actually well, you can mean, consider good. They're, they're like the working man's whore, you know. what I mean, yeah, they really a, pump them it's out. Very funny. I, th- I, I, I'm, you know, obviously not a fan, so I never tracked it. But I think Blumhouse even cut a deal with Hulu at some point to just like pump out like. I think like triple digit horror movies or something like that, or like really? like something like something really? outra- like an outrageous number of films. No, weird. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so, so it's it, but it, it but feels you, like you got me correct. Yeah, yeah, it feels like B rate or it feels like second uh, yes. second rate kind of backseat to A twenty four. You're right for sure, for sure, definitely uh, double A. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for it. So, upon seeing the death of a smiling patient, Doctor Rose Carter, played by Sosie Bacon, Kevin Bacon's daughter, I believe. Uh, is uh, haunted by nothing else but that smile as she slowly loses her mind. Uh, folks, this is jump scare galore. I mean, wow. I mean, wow. It's <laughs> <laughs> that is my pitch for the film, jump scare galore. Uh, and in that lies my comparison to Blumhouse Schlock. Uh, it just really doesn't have... I mean, or it, I should say maybe it has the framework of trying to be more, but um, when when we talk about the horror, when we talk about what is actually scaring you, it is not atmosphere, it is not design, it is not anything but a an actual physical reaction to a loud right. sound being played around you. I mean, yes, there are scary elements on screen don't get me wrong there are you know this is a scary movie you know this is not like you know it isn't scary or anything like that but when it comes to my critique of a jump scare you have to understand they could literally play any loud sound and pair it with any any visual almost and you will have a jump scare it's 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 a it's a it's a reaction it's a it's it's not actual horror it's literally going from like a quiet to loud sound exactly oh yeah that's Um, good yeah and and i kid you not every single scare in this is a jump scare you know uh, it it got me almost every time but that's not you know i mean it's 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 one with that being it's maybe it's even it's point it's objective to have every one of these scares be a jump scare Mm -hmm. There is a 
numbness that happens after a while to the film. Oh. Uh, because you're then it's expecting just, the setups the same. It's just so saturated with it. Yeah. Uh, and I can't stress enough, I mean, it is scary. You know, I mean, I, I think uh, folks going to the theater for a scary October film, they'll kind of get what they want here. But you do need films like this. Jump scare films do need true. to exist. That's true. But it's if it's true. overdone, it's overdone. And it would be nice if... It's weird that um, you were finding that it was just literally volume-based scares. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it really is. Um, on that note, I think a slight positive for me is actually sound design. I think it did make for a good theater experience if you're, you know curious to watch this. Um, and my praise goes beyond soundtrack and score. While there wasn't, you know, again, I kind of grew numb to these scares. Mm-hmm. There is good audio design here that makes watching this on a good sound system worth it, whether that you go to theaters for this uh, or that you maybe wait um, to see it at home. So uh, a, a slight positive here. Back to the negative characters <laughs> are are like extremely basic, uh, especially when relationships are strained because our main character's waning sanity is really going to stress the relationships around her. The film presents itself as a psychological horror, but is far too shallow for this genre. Our, our protagonist, she's a psychologist. Uh, trauma is a theme that is brought to light in the script, but it is only very loosely tied to horror, and primarily because jump scares are not psychological. You know, the actual horror that's being built here is not psychological. There's no tie-back to these themes. What's the tie-back is that, well, guess what? There's going to be another loud noise that's going to jump down <laughs> out of your seat. Uh, does it come across as, la- uh, was it kind of lazy filmmaking? Yeah, absolutely. And maybe, I, you know, I, I maybe hesitated from that type of wording in my notes because Parker Finn, first-time director, I, I was excited to support, you know? Sure, yeah. Um, what studio did this, by the way? Do we know what's back this? Oh, you're right. No, it is Paramount. So. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just, man, it, 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 was, it was disappointing for that same reason that I was initially hoping that this would kind of be a fresh take or some sort of, some sort right, of thing right. like that. Instead, I was walking away and I was like, wow, man, I, I can't wait to watch It Follows again. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Also, uh, more of a horror mystery than just a straight horror because so much of the runtime, I would say a majority of the runtime, is dedicated to investigating the curse on her, this smiling curse. Uh, we have an absolute snoozer of scenes where she is just on the computer or scrambling through papers. And again, by the formula, very quickly, we understand that these are just quiet moments to have a jump scare payoff. You know, we're oh, not... Oh, yeah. You know, there's no depth to the film, there's no There's no depth to the, the investigation. There's no depth to the mystery. You know, I think a perfect example is this horror is missing a key element to any horror mystery in that we do not have the rules of the curse, the, the rules of the monster, as I might have referred to mm-hmm. as before on other, on other episodes and podcasts. Uh, you know, I, I, I think if you're going to have a mystery quality to it, you want problem solving. You want to understand the rules of what can be done, what can't be done, and is our character going to beat that or not? Uh, I think that's a major part of the blah feeling to the story and why it is all very surface level uh, that we never really get an answer of what the rules uh, of the curse are right right despite these investigative segments in the film that are boring 
<laughs> just just set up, you know. They're basically just quiet moments so that there's as much as of a variance, as much as a, a difference as possible right, right. to the you know to the loud music cues, the the string hit of it. So, and, and like I mentioned a bit ago, there are plenty of horror movies that have done this significantly better. And mainly, it follows is is my you know pivot recommendation. <laughs> you excited for this? Guess what? Watch, watch something else. That, <laughs> that's that's good. you know taking the reins. You don't want the this. fright nurse? Watch Casper. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true i really would stand by that <laughs> uh but uh, i do think a lot of people will see this because of the marketing and i think the marketing push for this film has been huge uh, we have guerrilla marketing attempts we have uh you know just just putting it in the face of uh of a young demographic through social media marketing um and honestly i don't know if it's going to pay off in the box office or not uh i don't oh, know you don't know this... the numbers no no it's paying off plenty. Really? Oh, really? It's, it's doubled. It's, yeah. It was only $17 million to make. Okay. And worldwide, it's already made 92 Whoa. It's made $50 million in the States. Wow. Wow. Two, two weekends, it's made $50 million in the States. I think it's because one lackluster movie. Competition. Yeah. For the past, you know, three months or more. <laughs> And we're kind of dry as far as uh, October movies go. Yeah, you know, this is when this is the week weekend where Barbarian should have came out. What one? And I bet it, it would have done so much better. Mm. But this is kind of it. Yeah, it really is. And it's easy easily gonna knock Barbarian out. You know. Yeah, I mean Barbarian. I think it's out of maybe even main theaters. Basically, yeah. it's maybe yeah. hanging on a little bit. But so it, for two weekends, uh, it's it's grossing fifty million. Yeah, that's good for a. First time director, yeah, a horror movie, sure, sure. So and it is doing well. I will say, I don't know how much. I mean, when you make a seventeen dollar, seventeen million dollar film, mm-hmm. they say you double it for uh, marketing, marketing, and let's say even they tripled it, they still made money already. Yeah. Oh, for real, absolutely. You know, um, and, and and at that point, go for Paramount. Yeah, for sure. And, and I, I think have... that's where I kind of even word it. I, I think the, this this is the type of film that I could probably say whatever rating I want, and people are probably still going to go see it. You know, uh, in some I, it's all that's there. People want to be go to the movies to be spooked out for, exactly. in, in October. Yeah, and we're yeah. kind of just dry. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, as far as the like, quality, this is when Mad God should be out. <laughs> sure, sure. Barbarian. Uh, uh, Barbi- even, I even think crime- Barbarian is definitely my my go to, just because it's it's so close. It just you know why? Yeah, did what they... are you doing coming out yeah. three or four weeks ago? I know it's dumb. Yeah, it really is. Uh, they need to put us in a drop ball, <laughs> charge of all <laughs> film marketing, <Yeah. laughs> all placements. But uh, but yeah, you know, like I said. It, you know, this could very well be a thing that you see regardless. And and hey, uh, don't get me wrong; it's gonna scare you. It is going to make a jump. Uh, and if that's you know what you want out of the horror, fantastic. I think there is a judgment on quality, though, and there I think there's a judgment on my perspective of what horror is. Uh, my perspective sure. on horror is atmosphere. It is not a physical reaction, you know, a Pavlovian response. If you, will, <laughs> you know what I mean. And again. I stress to you that it really does dull after a while, uh, especially for how much every single scare is based around these music cues and these these string hits. So I would have taken a lot of things in the horror slot of this month. Of course, we have the coming 12th entry of Halloween, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which we will not be covering. I'm not covering 12 movies. So <laughs> we're just going to put that one out there right there. And we will see what comes out on top in October. Uh, towards the end of the month, we have, um, what is the film? Pray for the Devil. 
Uh, and I, I think it's looking like Smile's uh, set to dominate. For the ratings, we're going to go ahead and give Smile a 49. Ooh, 49. Just yep. a tick below. Just, Just tick. a tick below. Just a tick. Yeah, I mean, it's beating uh, it's beating Woman King. Like, it, it made more oh, money really? than Woman King. Uh, 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 prospectively, when Woman King came out? No. Oh. Like, well, no, it's oh, already... Like still in the... <laughs> yes. Like, Woman okay. King uh, made 60-something million worldwide. Oh, wow. And Smile made 90. Okay. 90-something. Proof's in the pudding. It was just crazy. It was just weird. You get a creepy girl? I, I think it's October. Yeah, it's October. Yeah, yeah. And absolutely. like you said, kudos to Paramount because a lot of that is probably marketing. Sure. Not because sure. it's actually a good movie. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Vince, so we're going to go with our last one here. This is one I was interested about. I was actually, when I first kind of saw this, I don't know, maybe three or four months ago, mm-hmm. I really love this cast. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. really love this cast. And then David O. Russell, who is in, you know, it might be American Hustle is in my top 12, top 15, Whoa. potentially of all time. Whoa. I love that Hot movie. Hot takes all over this Regardless, episode. Regardless, regardless. <laughs> yeah. So I was excited to see this. Talk about not doing well in the box office. Yeah. Like doing really, really bad in the box yeah, office. destroyed. This is Amsterdam. It is a large cast. It's directed by David O. Russell. Mm-hmm. Um, can you kind of set the film up and how did you like it? <laughs> yeah, it, to everybody else? It, it's, it's a little messy. It's definitely a little messy. Okay. Um, uh, Russell was back after a seven-year hi- hiatus. And, and like we mentioned, folks uh, uh, had a lot of success uh the fighter into silver linings play look into american hustle i mean got him three oscar nominations you know yeah you know his movies are stylish actor driven and packed with licensed soundtracks Uh, actor driven yes uh but uh this this film is kind of a different beast and i do appreciate it in the sense that this is a little different for uh russell um he is Oscar-nominated three times now, and the question is, will this talent-packed movie get him the win? I honestly don't know, because this film is being torn apart critically. He's uh, not doing well in the box office either. Yeah, like, oof, shocking, almost. So, uh, Well, let me say this. I don't think that it's shocking the box office. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I think it's shocking the the, the, the critical the panning hate, of yeah, it. Okay. Yeah. The story here is, like I said, a bit of a mess, but it's very heartwarming and optimistic in its outlook. Amsterdam is about a friendship between three comrades of World War One, and tied together even tighter when a murder mystery concerns all three of them uh, for personal reasons. I would say the genre here is a... Kind of a mismatch of a lot of things, but not necessarily in a bad way. It's got sprinklings of noir, mystery, comedy, certainly, romance, and I would say a big umbrella to that. Not that it is a genre in itself, but it is a feel-good movie, If you, I, w- I would say. It really is really? coming out with this heartwarming, optimistic tone to it, huh. which I kind of didn't expect from those trailers, very stylized. I, I expected kind of another American hustle in a way, you know? Sure. Um, that it was about these three friends kind of like heisting or something. Not that at all okay so our trio is christian bale of course returning to uh work with o'russell for the third time now and newbies margot robbie and john david washington excited to see all these three john david washington especially i'm really excited to see what he can do with his career of course this is denzel's son uh, for anyone that doesn't know and I think all three do a decent job here in this split lead performance, but my real praise goes only to Bale. Uh, really? Yeah, I think... Uh, Even Washington, no? 
Because we it, loved him. I He's in my running if we had to pick Bond. Oh, really? Right now, I would want, he's not going to be because he's right, American, right, but I, right. I, it would be him. Yeah, true, true. I, I I mean, especially I think that was maybe the the the, the behind-the-scenes reason why Tenet was, or why he was chose for Tenet, <laughs> yeah. you know, it really was trying to try to get that out. But Robbie and Washington just can't hold up to... Bale. Uh, more so, not even just Robbie and Washington. Everyone besides Bale is just being themselves. Bale is really the only one that is trying to be his character here. And you can say, all right, well, if you have a big, wide cast here, maybe that's the reason why you want to see. You want to see just kind of the actors act. Right. Uh, but, you know, it, it's it's kind of tough because... Bale is the only one to really take a critical character role, both in the arc of his story, but also in like this early New York accent work. Uh, everyone else, and believe me, hmm. there are a lot of them, seems to just be themselves acting-wise, which could be annoying. Equally, how it could be a draw for some viewers, could be annoying to the viewers that see this big wide cast and they say, oh, no thank you, that's giving me a headache. You know, I think there's equally you, amount of viewers on Could you compare this to another film? Or at all, like, were you thinking of, like, I don't know how long these other characters are in here, but, you know, I almost think of Wes Anderson, almost, and Grand Budapest had a huge cast um, that come in. And maybe know? even feel good vibes. I don't know. But just it definitely give, didn't feel like Wes Anderson as far as, you well, know, I, actually, with the feel right, of the movie. Yeah, no, yeah. I can, that I can imagine. <laughs> but as far as, like, as far as this many characters popping into a film, I mean, just to run down the list a little bit, you mm, have yep. Chris Rock, Anna Taylor-Joy, uh, Zoe Saldana, Mike Myers, yep. my boy, Timothy Oliphant, <laughs> and then, of course, Tw- Taylor Swift, Rami Malek, Robert De Niro, a huge, huge cast. yeah. yeah. And so, were they just popping in for two minutes, being themselves? No. If anything, out? there's a lot of long-term characters in the, in this, in the sense that huh. almost no one goes away. But uh, you know, I, I can't stress enough. It's it's. I don't know. Maybe maybe some of the fault goes to O. Russell in not directing his actors. Uh, but or did he go out and get these actors just because he wanted these? Yeah. Kinds of people. Yeah, kinds of people. Maybe it was, like you know, Mike- again, kind of a marketing draw. But I'm telling you, Bale is the only one that's actually a character because in if this. You th- right, because if you think about it, when we see Mike Myers in uh, Inglorious Bastards, yeah. it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Oh, phenomenal. It's great. I mean, he's not in it much, but it's fantastic. Yeah. He kind of plays a similar, like, a British, you know, type of, uh, you know, sure, I don't, I don't know why he's getting cast for these British roles, you know. But he's Mike Myers still, <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it, it's tough. Um, I, I, let me unpack a little bit more of the negative, because, yes. again, I, I, am, I am coming positive on this film. Uh, and again, it's for some of the, some of the stylings and some of the feel and, and substance of the uh, of the story itself. But it is a bit of a mess. Um, I could understand at least some of the sentiment uh, of critics on this one tearing this apart. Uh, the dialogue is just a little rough here. Like I said already, the accent work across the board is not great. There isn't a believability to the nineteen hundreds uh, okay. to nineteen thirties New York setting. And I would say, again, that that blame falls on almost every cast member. Everyone's just kind of doing their own thing, and it's a little disorienting. I say the best is Bale. Uh, actually, right. just doing a character, kind of almost by default, he wins it. <laughs> uh, the spectrum then goes, I would say, right in the middle is De Niro, and then he's just De Niro. Right. <laughs> uh, but not really damaging the outlook of the film right, or right. anything. <laughs> but also, what's new with De Niro? Yeah. And I would say, uh, uh, very unfortunately, the worst is probably Chris Rock, uh, who his 
persona of Chris Rock actually detracts from the film quite a bit. Um, there's really? A, there's oh. a very early be- scene in, uh, the, you know, they're, they're all serving in World War One, and, and he's in this regiment, and he's, he's calling people crackers and, and whatnot. It's just like the slang is not... The dialect, the the accent work, yeah. it's all not there, and I think in that moment specifically, I was like, I I I don't mind Chris Rock in this film. If anything, I was kind of excited when I saw him in the trailer. I would be excited to see him in this, yeah, because I actually like the fact of him acting. Like I like yeah. sound, the sound of that, yeah, absolutely. But he's just Chris Rock, and Chris Rock does not feel like a nineteen hundreds, <laughs> you know, soldier. 19, right, you know, right. uh, and I can't tell you how much that takes away all mm, the. Yeah. The world building that O. Russell is doing, this cast really detracts from it because they're not directed, they're not focused. Uh, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, interesting because I don't know. It, don't you feel like he gets it right in all of his other films? I think so. You look at American if, Hustle. You know, I mean, maybe a lot is on. Yeah, who's the, the guy? Sh- who's the uh, Arrow guy? The Marvel guy who plays uh, the mayor in? Oh yeah, uh, Jeremy Renner. He, he's Jeremy Renner is great in American yeah, Hustle. Absolutely, and um, playing kind of that Arrow, playing that part. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even uh, Bradley Cooper, uh, of course. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, kind Definitely. of. I mean, this is the scumbag and whatnot. But yeah, I, I I know what you mean. There are he gets it right. Everyone's kind of being. Everyone is char- doing character work. Yeah. Here, uh, I don't know. Maybe it was just the burden of. Of just so many uh, actors being a juggling act that uh, I don't know that 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 direction was not there. Unfortunately, what multiplies this a little bit is the script itself. Characters speak in very stilted ways and kind of just dump exposition in every single line. I'll give you an example because it actually forced it, it. It spurred me to write it down, and I, you know, when I'm in the theater, I'm really one pet peeve. I don't even like going on my phone in any kind of film, in any yeah, watching no, film, definitely. no less the theater. Uh, but it it was one of the few moments that I wrote down something <laughs> word for word. It, I I think it was Anya Taylor Joy's character. She goes, "Don't you call him a coward? You know he doesn't like that." Twenty years back when he was in prep school, bullies called him that, and it's just like no oh, one. <laughs> talks like that <laughs> and and I gotta say that's almost every line uh, every line is just so sneaky. structured and yeah. ju- like it's not letting you do any work to figure out who these people are and what's going on bingo it's bingo. just told to you it is spoon fed yeah uh, and uh, which makes it unbelievable exactly yeah and, and hey uh, why I say this is you know, maybe a multiplying factor is again. Oh, Russell's writing here. I think maybe that's a slight misstep, but most importantly, you know, it, it's combining with this lack of accent work that it feels like just you know that spoon-fed aspect right. is being delivered by celebrity you know well. <laughs> you know, it's very surprising. So, yeah, he hit the '70s so well. Sure, sure, uh, and maybe some of some of the success with American Hustle lies on just. Very prominent soundtrack, doing a lot of heavy lifting and whatnot. Oh. You know that does sell mood and whatnot. The actors were killer. Yeah, even Gen- uh, Jennifer uh, Lawrence was true, right in her role. Absolutely, absolutely. Huh? Very so, strange. Almost every line with it. Uh, uh, that is really my main criticism: writing and performance. And you can say, well, that's pretty critical. But uh, luckily, I really enjoyed this story, and I want to. I want to. You know, the, the the second half of this is is really talking about and combating maybe some of the. The critical panning of this film, people uh, or critics are hating this film. 
uh, and they're really destroying it. Um, and I can't say that's a reason why it's flopping. I think it's probably flopping on its own merits. I, I enjoyed a lot of this story. I think I what I enjoyed most is the camaraderie. There is a great sentiment towards veterans of the Great War, and it's tackled in a refreshing light. Um, where other films today, I think, would try to shock the audience with dark and real kind of a PTSD lens, if you will, to World War One. Amsterdam has a wonderful optimism to how the characters lean on one another for healing, and it's it's not corny either. It's not something like we would cut we you know in, in previous criticisms of maybe fifties movies or something like sure, that. It yeah. is really not corny. Characters are horrifically scarred by the war, but in a lot of way, ways, the tone maintains an upbeat quality. Um, for instance, there is a wonderful love of singing in this film. It starts as a therapeutic tool for the friends and kind of grows to show the bonds between soldiers. Uh, really, the whole arc of the film is around this loyalty and what it takes to earn loyalty. These characters understand that they will always be hard times, but they have worked through those hard times together, and mm -hmm. now it's the good times. And I, I really, I really did find this outlook refreshing. I thought it was a, a, a heartwarming story, and and again. It, it's true, we just don't get it anymore. Yeah, we don't get it. It's um, good, good that it didn't have a 50s squeaky clean feel. Right, right. You know, there's, there's difference there. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's primarily in that the film isn't shying away from actually the physical you know, harm and mutilation of, of these soldiers coming back from World uh -huh. War One. Bale's uh, character is a doctor as well, so that's kind of also in the forefront of it. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was, it was, uh, I, I kind of, refreshing. I, maybe, I think maybe word, I just yeah. fell for the feel good aspect of it, but I thought it was a really, uh, uh, nice optimistic way at approaching the, you know, horrific realities of war yeah. and saying, Hey, it's not always going to be the hard times, you know? And I, I thought that was really nice. The film takes its time getting there, but if anything, um, this wide cast shows who respects and understands these bonds, and that, you know, who doesn't is basically our opposition. You know, who doesn't really get what it takes to right. be optimistic after facing these horrors together and having the bonds of friendship? The people that, do, the characters that don't understand that, those are the antagonists. Those are the opposition. I think that was great. Sadly, this film is going to box, flop in the box office. Uh, already has, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that's probably for a multitude of reasons. And I, I will say, yes, it is certainly a bit of a mess, like I explained. But how this film is getting chewed up critically is insane to me. I think a 34 on Rotten Tomatoes when I took this note. Is that is that looking about the right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Actually hasn't changed, but yeah, 34. Yeah, I mean... A 34, you know what it's I mean? It's just not, yeah. Uh, yeah. You give 34 the Frighteners. <laughs> <laughs> were you waiting for me to go in on that? No, no, oh, I, I really wasn't. Like, you waiting for me to pick me. that one up. <laughs> that, that actually got me. Uh, The Frighteners, this is not. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. You know, folks, if you're not into horror this month, maybe give this one some love. Uh, and certainly don't let these asinine review scores scare you away altogether. We're going to go ahead and give Amsterdam a 64. Oh, okay. There you go. 64, good movie. Yeah. I think I just want to check it out for David O. Russell's sake. I'm still interested to see the cast, honestly. Yeah. How was Ollie Font? <laughs> bad. Uh, it's probably not bad. Memorable. Just say bad. Yeah, not okay. yeah, not memorable. I don't necessarily think he's a good actor. <laughs> right. I love that you, you, you threw in your boy. <laughs> well, he is. Just, I mean, I mean justified. <laughs> 
I was on the train kind of early, which justifies. Sure. Where did that train go? And then Tarantino picked him up, by the uh, way. Very true. I mean, very come true. on now, you know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, Deadwood also is probably his best role. Oh, though, true, true. Which I hope there's still a Deadwood, Deadwood movie coming out. Uh, are they talking about that? Or yeah, I think it might be even in production, potentially, yeah. Mm. It's apparently happening. I just hope it's soon. So, okay. I, don't, I might want to take back my top... 12 to top 15. Oh, really? I don't know. Oh, he's your reaction scared, Yeah, your reaction scared no, me. No, no, no. Listen, you like what you like. Whatever I freak, you want. I love that movie. Sure. It's a good I, movie. I, I'm actually um, actress's name. What? Uh, uh, n- uh, not Lawrence. Her. I know. Amy her. Adams. Yes. I'm starting to be less and less impressed with her. Oh, really? Okay. And in that movie specifically. So it's actually bringing the movie down a little bit more. Mm. I'm finding that... She's the same person in every single movie. <laughs> every movie. Yeah. She goes through dial she always has serious dialogue and she delivers it in the exact same way. Mm, Whether mm. she's talking to Jeremy Renner or everybody Christian Mar- Bale. Christian Bale. Uh and then I don't <laughs> uh Bradley Cooper. Yeah. Jeremy Renner in Arrivals. Uh Christian oh, Bale right. in this movie. Mm-hmm. She uh what was it? Oh, I just watched The Master. Oh, oh, that's right. She's that's the same why thing. this is top of mind. This is it well, kind of, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I just picked I picked up on it before, and then on the master, I was just like, yeah, she kind of just she is the same person in every film. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. I, I do like American Hustle a lot. Hey, listen, it's a good movie. I might take it back to the top. Maybe <laughs> dep- I'll say top <laughs> no. twenty-two. So I don't know why the two. Listen, you have hot takes. Give them, and 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 if anything, I mean that's a perfect example. You know, you you like what yeah, you it's like. It's a great There's movie. No problem. You yeah. rated it high. Yeah, absolutely. Not eighty five. I, th- I, I think I look back on American Hustle, and I I just feel especially now you know you know episode fifty three. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have to be, I have to be consistent. If I am giving flack to you know what I'm gonna say, Forrest Gump. I have to give flack to American Hustle because it has the Forrest Gump syndrome to the uh, to the soundtrack. Ooh, I think I'd fight you pretty hard on that. Really? Mm, yeah. Okay. Okay. I think it's almost like I could just like give it to you for Forrest Gump with some discrepancies, sure. right? Uh, I don't. Yeah, I'm gonna disagree with that. Okay. One. All right. But All that, right. That could be. We'll have the head to head over American yeah. Hustle. <laughs> <laughs> That's a title match. Um, I think you gave American Hustle low 80s. Yeah, and I, I think, think so. Well too. deserving. That yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I forget what it, it sounds is. Sounds like a daily rating score. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Might be 81, uh, 82. And, like I, for, and no joke, I actually love uh, Amy Adams and Christian Bale specifically. I love their their romance yes. in that film. Um, I so. think you. I think it might be an 82. Really? Because I think I put it on the site and I was upset. I called you. I think. <laughs> I don't remember and this goal. Was, yeah, I think I called you, and I was just like, you meant to make this an 85, right? Like, you meant to make this in the all-time, right? And you're like, no, I think it's an 82. And then I was like, but you gave Nice Guys an 85. Like, eight Nice Guys has an yeah. 85 or 86. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, I agree with that. I yeah. think that's what it should be. And I like, stand by him. I was like, no, no, but you meant to put American Hustle. I but I think it's at 82, which is extremely respectable yeah. for the oh, daily ratings. right, right, yeah. yeah. And uh, this goes back even to like the eighties, you know. What I mean, that's that's still it is colossally worth your time. You know yes. What I mean? Oh, we, yes, exactly. So. Much different than Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic, <laughs> right? For right. everybody, honestly. Yeah. Okay, Ben. Uh, looking at these scores here, anything else you want to add, or are we going to roll credits here? No. Uh, ex- uh, I mean, really, only other thing I'll say is, folks at home, if you have any horror movies that you maybe want me to tackle in the weeks, obviously we're working with a week delay. Write in. Let us know. I'm happy to have, uh, you know, some different perspectives because I got some deep cuts and, you know, you may not be too curious about these deep cuts. So I'm going to go with where I want to go in the week. It would be cool if people had their own deep cuts. Yeah. Like, I don't know if many people do know about It Follows. Sure. We had Coherence the other week. Yeah. It wasn't horror, but it was uh, sure. sci-fi Certainly weird. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. 
Uh, okay, Vince, thanks for watching these. Thanks for stopping by. Folks at home, we'll run it down one more time here. We have The Frighteners with a 34%. 1408 with a 67, It Follows with an 81, Smile with a 49, and Amsterdam with a 64%. Folks, we thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week on the Daily Ratings Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, if you would, could you give us a good rating or tell a friend about us? If you're wondering if a film is worth a watch, or if you'd just like to see more movie ratings from Vince, be sure to stop by thedailyratings.com, where we have our ever-expanding catalog of films. Also, if you found value in the podcast or our site, become a producer and go to the Donations tab on thedailyratings.com. You can donate whatever, whatever amount of value you feel you receive from us. We're looking to build this into something large and great, but also be independent from those corporate sponsors. So we greatly appreciate any support from you all. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast.